Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We're in this series entitled Glory, and uh, that's kind of an odd word I know. We don't hear it very often outside of church other than maybe, you know, a documentary about some football team or something, right? And so what is glory? Uh, Glory is God's brilliance. It's His radiance. It's His character, His attributes, His nature. It's the way that He relates to us. It's the way that He Uh, tells us who he is, and we see his glory all around us if we're looking for it. And so today, uh, I want to take you to a passage where we're pulling this entire series out of. It's Exodus chapter 4, I'm sorry, 34. So if you grab your Bible, your device, head over to Exodus chapter 34. We want to look at verses uh, 5 and 6 this morning. I want to remind you before I get going too, we have our Ask Anything number up here on the screen. If you have any questions during this message, you can text them that phone number. Somebody will text back a response and and answer your question for you. And so just keep that in mind as we go through this this message today. Uh, This text is so important. It's just uh, fascinating to me as I look through this because this is actually God's revelation of himself. Uh, Moses is up on the mountain And God is telling Moses exactly who he is. It's not third hand. It's not somebody else. It's actually God saying, these are the things that I am. And over the last couple of weeks, we've covered the first few attributes. The first one was a God of compassion and mercy. We talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Tim talking about, we have a God who is slow to anger. And if you didn't hear that message, you need to go back and listen to it, because one of the arguments that we have in our society today is that God is a vengeful God. He's like this, you know, this almighty being up there in the clouds that's looking down, waiting for us to do something wrong so he can squash us like a bug. And that's not God at all, actually just the opposite. Tim did an excellent job of sharing that with us last week. Make sure you go back and listen to that. And I want to continue with our text this morning. So let's take a look at this, Exodus chapter 34. Verses 5 and 6 says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I love this, this whole text, these two verses, because when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they constantly described him this way. They would say that God is a God of compassion and mercy, that he's slow to anger. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And we see that over 20 times in the scriptures. It's one of the most repeated uh, verses in all of the Bible. Why? Because the authors wanted us to know who God was. Because we need to know who God is, because that changes everything. We need a a great understanding of who God is. Uh, Tozer said it this way. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because how you think about God and how you understand God determines how you live. It determines what expectations you have of God. Uh, What you think about God, how you understand him, actually determines ultimately whether or not that you're going to live in confidence and peace because you've placed your trust and faith in him. 
You can't do that if you don't know who God is or you don't know anything about him. And so this week, uh, we've covered compassion, mercy, slow to anger. And this week, I want to cover this God who is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I want to start with the first part of that, just this idea of unfailing love. So I have a question for you. Uh, What's the greatest love you've ever experienced in this life? Can you think of what it is? If you were a kid... You probably can think back to maybe a, your parents' love, right? Them taking care of you. Or maybe it was a pet that you actually loved loved you back. And as you got older, got to be a teenager, maybe it was that first crush that you had, that boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Um, maybe you're at that place where you've gotten older and maybe you met somebody that you want to share the rest of your life with and you've gotten married. And maybe it's the love of a spouse. Maybe that's the greatest love that you've ever experienced on the face of the earth. What I've learned is as I grow older and as I mature, I keep thinking that like, I can't love anymore. Like I'm, I'm reaching the pinnacle of love, right? And then God opens a door, something happens in my life and I find another layer. I find another level of love. I'm an old dude now and, and I'm, um, I'm a grandparent. Like we have these three grand girls and, and they're, they are just incredible. Just love being around them. And uh, my wife, her name is Angie. And so they call us uh, grandpa. I just got grandpa, uh, but they call her Grangie. And so it's grandpa and Grangie. And uh, we, we were blessed this last week because my son and daughter-in-law called us and said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? And we were like, awesome. So we go over to their house for dinner. We hang out with the grandgirls. We hang out with them, have dinner and everything else. And uh, they go to bed. They have a certain bedtime. So they go up to bed. And uh, what I laughed about is after that, that great evening, we went home, woke up the next day, and my daughter-in-law informs me that the two oldest grandgirls got up the next morning, came down for breakfast, and informed their parents that they had hogged all of Grangie and Grandpa's time, and that they didn't really get a turn. And next time, they need more time with Grandpa and Grangie. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. As a grandfather, let me just tell you this, man, I was just like, I was like tears running down my face reading that, because I was like, this is amazing. Just, they want to spend time, they really do like me, right? And it was just awesome. And, and it's like, cut your heart out, here you go, you know. How many ponies do you want? Okay, you got it, right? It, I mean, it's, that, it's just crazy how much you can experience love on a whole different level, regardless of where you're at, whether it's, you know, your parents or, or children's love or, or spouse, whatever it is for you. Can I just say this? How, however amazing it is that that love is earthly and it's still broken and it's still imperfect. No matter how great it is, it can never come close to even comparing or measuring up to the love that our, our God has for us in his unfailing love. Now, we're going to look at this attribute of unfailing love or this loyal love that God has for us. I think it's interesting. It starts off by saying that he's a God of compassion and mercy and slow to anger. Do you know why he's a compassion, uh, compassionate God, a God of mercy and a God who is slow to anger? Do you know why? Because he's a God filled with unfailing love. That's where that comes from. And this, this word, we, we say unfailing love because we didn't have an English word that fit the original word. It's, it's a word that is so deep and so rich. It actually combines the idea of love and generosity and enduring commitment all in one word. It describes this act of promise-keeping loyalty that, that is motivated by this deep, deep care for his creation for the, these, these creatures that are created in his image. He has this unfailing love for them. 
Uh, you read the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and they're, they're making their way to the promised land, and, and they're scared that all the other nations around them are going to come and, and you know, kill them. And, and so uh, they start to doubt that God can protect them. And in this moment, they do something stupid. They start plotting like they're going to knock off Moses, and they're going to go find another leader that's going to lead them back to Egypt, back into slavery, after God has rescued them. And you can imagine, God is understandably hurt, he's angry about this whole situation, and he's, he's just tired of taking it from these people, you know, and like, like he's starting to talk about, hey, um, they're going to have to suffer the consequences for this. And Moses steps in, and this is what Moses says in Numbers chapter 14. He says, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Notice Moses doesn't ask God to forgive um, based upon the people's actions. He doesn't say forgive them because they deserve it, because they don't. We know that. None of us deserve that, right? But uh, what he does, he says, please forgive them because it's consistent with your own character. Because it's who you are. You have this magnificent, unfailing love for your people, even when they do wrong. And what's amazing is God agrees and he recommits himself to these people who won't recommit themselves to him. They continue to turn their backs on him. In the Bible, God is loyal and he's loving for no other reason than that's just who he is. God is love. And of course, he wants people to respond back to him. He wants that love returned back to him. But even when we don't, God's unfailing love still remains. That's what's so fascinating about this unfailing love that God shows. We we can't even fathom it. We can't understand it because we can't love like that. We just can't. It's like in the celebration of Psalm 136. It starts off by saying this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy, I'm sorry, his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. Just take that one line in. His faithful love endures forever. And then for 26 more times in this text, it repeats that line. His faithful love endures forever, over and over and over again. Why? Because he's a God filled with unfailing love. When we talk about the love of God, we're talking about God giving himself for the benefit of others. This is what Jesus did on the cross. God's nature is to give himself away to others to bring about blessing and goodness to them. It's God's very nature to love. God is love. And something I've heard taught before, I hear people say it all the time, and I want to make sure that we're, we're clear on this. This is important for us to remember, is that God doesn't need us in order to be love. Somehow we think that because of us that he's love. That's not the case. He didn't need to create so that he could fulfill his desire to love at all. God is love. That's his very nature. It's kind of like a family adopting a child into their family. They're not adopting because they're lacking love or because they're needy, but because they have this desire to give this love to one who hasn't experienced it. And that's what God does in giving us his love. He's just love and he wants to share it with all of us. Um, I think it's fascinating when I'm talking to people, especially outside of the faith, and we're talking about, you know, Christianity and, and the Bible, and I start to talk about, you know, God really doesn't like sin. Like, he, it says he hates sin and, and because he has a better plan for us, and he intends to judge us in the end, end times, you know, for what we've chosen to do. And, and I start talking about God's righteousness and our unholiness and all these different things. The, the response to any of that, regardless of where you go with it, the response is always this, yeah, but God is love. 
right? Like somehow that, that just trumps everything else. And yes, God is love, but in our culture today, I think there, there's a misunderstanding about God's love. And honestly, if, if we're <laughs> being truthful, I think many of us misunderstand God's love too. Um, the way many talk about God's love is like he's this, this grandparent in the sky that's just doting over us because we're so special or because we deserve it. But um, I, I think when we do that, we, we fall into this cultural understanding of God's love that, that really means that we stay the same way that we are, that God just loves us no matter what, and we can just do whatever we want. It, it affirms us in our sin, and that's not that unfailing love. See, somehow today, when we say God loves us, somehow it's become synonymous with God approves of my behavior. And that's not true at all. Because it's pretty clear in Scripture that he doesn't. And yet, even though it's clear in Scripture, we still somehow go, well, God is love, so I can do whatever I want. See, I think instead, we need to have a biblical understanding of God's love. We need to understand that through his love, it's not that we get to stay where we're at. He's not affirming us in his sin, but God's love wants to transform and change us. That's really what what it's about. He loves you so much, he won't let you stay where you're at. He wants you to change and become more and more like him every day. Now, I love every one of my family members, every one of them, whatever age they're at, the maturity, I love them today. But 10 years from now, I don't want them to be the same. I want all of them to grow. I want them to mature. I want them to age. I want them to change. Why? Because I love them, because there's something better for them. So what propels God to save and redeem us? It's his great love, because God is filled with unfailing love. And this isn't a love predicated on our behavior or our response to him. It's unconditional. Like it originated specifically with his decision to love us, period. That's it. Not because of anything we did, but because God chose to love us in the first place. And it was the greatest love with which he loved us. Because it says, even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even before we ever acknowledged him and turned to him, He still loved us, and he still died for us. That's unfailing love. That's hard to wrap our minds around. Now, if you're a a Christian in here, if you've received Christ today, if you're in Christ, listen to me. I I want you to get this before you leave here today. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And somehow we think that our, you know, God's love is somehow based on our performance or what we've done or what we did last night. And it's not. I'm just going to say it again. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. That's God's unconditional love because God is filled with unfailing love. That's who he is. That's his nature. Isn't that great news? Now, it doesn't Stop there, does it? It goes on. It says that God is filled with unfailing love, but also unfailing love and what? Faithfulness. Now, that word could be translated faithfulness, but it could also be translated as truth. Now, and it's related to a word many times you'll hear in church that you don't hear anywhere else, right? Uh, Have you ever heard somebody next to you when those crazy Christians go, amen? Have you ever heard that? Uh, That's a Hebrew expression that literally just means that's truth. That's what they're saying. Like, right on. You can say that again, right? That's what it means. It's just, that's truth. They're proclaiming that whatever is said there is truth, that it's solid. 
Faithfulness can mean truth, but it also has to do with stability and reliability, like a foundation, like you can put weight on it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's solid. It's like when Moses, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when Moses went up on the hill and he was raising his hands, remember, and the Israelites started fighting the Amalekites, and, and every time his hands would get tired, he'd lower his hands, they'd start losing, but when he'd lift his hands, they would start winning, and so pretty soon a couple of his friends came up the hill, they stuck a stone under him, and then they started holding his hands up so that they might win the battle. The word that's used there literally means that his hands were faithful and steady. That's what that word means. It's unfaltering. It's not going to fail. God is faithful. You can trust in him. So it says that God is faithful. It, it doesn't just mean that he's truth. It doesn't mean that he just stands for truth or that what he says is true. What it means is he is trustworthy. Like he's, you can put weight on him. It's, it's solid. It, it's steady. It's not going to go anywhere. It's reliable. This is why Moses calls God a rock. He says that he's faithful, he's just, and he's upright. He's saying, look, you can trust in God to be consistent to his character. Why? Because God is faithful. The first person that we see in the Bible that actually considers God to be trustworthy is this guy by the name of Abraham. God promises Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they're going to become a huge family, that eventually they're going to become this this great nation that's going to experience God's blessing, and then he's going to use that nation to bless all the other nations around the world. But what's interesting is Abraham and Sarah are really, 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 did I say really, really, really old, and they haven't been able to have any kids. And yet in the face of those challenges, Abraham, it says he trusts God, he puts his faith in in God. He counts God as filled with faithfulness. He's trustworthy. And God is faithful back to Abraham and Sarah because they have a child. And not only that, but within four generations, they become this great nation called Israel. And God takes Israel and he wants to enter into a trusting and faithful relationship with them. And he leads them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he, he proves to them that he can be trusted, that they can rely on him. And yet when they come to the promised land and they see this land that's all filled with these fortified cities and all these giants, all of a sudden their faith begins to wane. They, they start to not trust that God can do what he said he was going to do. See, the attribute of God's faithfulness is the reality that God will always do what he says he will do, that he will always fulfill what he has promised. You can count on it. You can bank on it. It's going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says it this way. If we are unfaithful, so if we're not like God and we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Like the unfailing love, God is faithful. That's just his character. That's who he is. What God says he will do, he will do. He will follow through. He is dependable to accomplish every one of his promises. He promised Noah and his family that he was going to preserve them. And you know what he did? He fulfilled it. He promised Abraham that he'd become a great nation, and he fulfilled it. He promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son even in their old age. He fulfilled it. He promised Moses that he would use them, him to free the Egyptians from Egypt, and he fulfilled it. He promised Elijah that he'd feed him through the famine, and he fulfilled it. He promised David victories over foreign armies, and he fulfilled it. He promised captivity and exile to the Israelites if they didn't repent of their sin, and guess what? They didn't. And unfortunately, God had to fulfill that promise, and they suffered the consequence of it. Now, most importantly, 
God promised that he would send a savior who would come, who would atone for the sins of all of us, not just Jew, but Gentile, all of us. And he was faithful in that. He sent his son, Jesus. Now, the confidence that we have because God is faithful is that everything that he promises us, who we are, what he will do, the future that he intends to bring about, all those things are true, and you can count on it because he's a God who is filled with faithfulness. I I love the fact that Jesus comes to this earth, and Jesus is the example of God's unfailing love and faithfulness. He took both of those, and he wrapped them up, and and he presented them in flesh in Jesus. Jesus was God's unfailing love and faithfulness in flesh. Even after centuries of Israel betraying their commitment, their covenant that they made to God, even after humanity, um, their long history of death and violence, God still kept his promise in a very dramatic and I think drastic way in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to become the sacrifice for our sins, a path for us to be made right with God. John 1 says it this way, so the word became human and made his home among us, He was full of what? Check this out. Unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his what? His glory. We've seen God in that glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Because we serve a God who is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus was God's unfailing love and faithfulness in the flesh. Jesus is God's unconditional love demonstrated to us. And it's in his life and his death and his resurrection that God opened up a new future for all of us. He provided a way for us to be made right with God. To be able to to live a new life in him. To not face eternal damnation, but to receive a, a life with him for eternity. It's only through Jesus Christ, only because we serve a God who is filled with love and faithfulness. God opened up a brand new future for all of us, and he did this because it's who he is, because he's generous, because he's loving, because he's eternally loyal to all of his promises and what he says he will do. Jesus came on behalf of God's love and faithfulness, and he is the the faithful king. He's creating a kingdom that's going to endure forever and ever. And here's what's amazing. He invites all of us into that family, into that kingdom, to be a part of that, all who trust in God. And when we experience the purity and the power of God's unfailing love and faithfulness shown through Jesus Christ, it compels us to reimagine why and how we can show unfailing love and faithfulness back to God, and not only to God, but to the people around us. And the only way that we can do that is because we've experienced his unfailing love and his faithfulness. And really, When we talk about a God filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, it's the only reason that today we get to take part in communion. If you think about it, without a God of unfailing love and faithfulness, we wouldn't be able to take communion today. And I don't want us to take this for granted. This is an opportunity for us to declare who God is to celebrate his unfailing love and faithfulness, the fact that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. He was faithful to his promise centuries before that he would provide a way, and he did. And Jesus came, and while he was sitting and having a a last supper with his disciples, it says that he does something very interesting. 
As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, take it, for this is my body. And we know just a few hours later, he would go to the cross. He would give his life. His body would be destroyed. It would be broken to pay for our sins. And it says that he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people and is poured out as a sacrifice for many. No longer would we have to make animal sacrifices for our sins anymore. He was going to pay the price once and for all. It was going to be over. And his body would be broken. His blood would be shed so that we could be made right with God, that we could have a relationship with him, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. And we could avoid eternal separation from God, eternal damnation. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. What I love about it, it says, I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And it says, then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So we're going to do that today. We have communion set up in the back of the room. And here's what I want you to do. Go back. You can go back by yourself or with your family or whoever you're with. You can take the juice and you can take the bread. Remembrance of Christ's body and his blood. And be thankful this morning of God's unfailing love and his faithfulness. Celebrate that today in your communion.